0: I'm Tavin Nasir and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavin Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate trainings in both in-person and virtual settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. Now, if you've been enjoying my podcast and the insights and tools I've been sharing on how you can improve the way you lead and would like me to expand on them with your team and organization, please do check out my speaking page on our website at TanvirNasir.com to learn about some of the topics I cover in my keynotes and workshops, whether that's in person or in a virtual setting. And now I'd like to introduce my guest for this episode, Marlene Chisholm. Marlene is a leading authority on identifying and stopping workplace drama that hampers productivity and effectiveness and helping leaders get results through others. In fact, Marlene was one of my first guests on this podcast, appearing in episode number five, where we spoke about her book, Stop Workplace Drama. I'm delighted to welcome Marlene back so I could talk with her about her latest book, From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. Hi, Marlene. Welcome to the Leisha Biz Cafe. Or should I say, welcome back. You were one of my first guests on my podcast, so it's fun to get the chance to have you back on the show after all this time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait for this conversation.
0: So, Marlene, as you know, I really like the message and ideas you share in this book. And I think a great place to start our conversation is with the point you make that we need to rethink how we understand conflict. So what are we getting wrong about conflict?
1: We have so many ideas about conflict that we're maybe not aware of. We think of it as a war, a dispute, someone wins, someone loses, and we even go to the opposite end of it. We have to embrace it. And so I've come up with this different concept that what if we look at it and we depersonalize it and we say it's simply opposing drives, desires, and demands? And the visual that I have is an arrow going to the left and an arrow underneath it going to the right so that you can see that when someone wants something different, maybe a business unit manager, maybe two business unit managers are arguing about the budget and then you become each other's enemy and you make assumptions about the other. But if you just step back and say, you know, there's opposing drives, desires and demands and I don't fully understand what they're up against. They don't understand what I'm up against. Once you depersonalize it then it's not as much about embracing it or avoiding it. It's really more about just facing it and getting curious.
0: You know, a lot of discussions happening on right now where we have to understand if someone's having a not particularly good day or they're not showing up to the meetings, their usual self, that we recognize that maybe there's something going on behind the scenes we're not aware of and that we have greater care and attention to kind of take a beat to really show up and engage the person to be curious to find out if everything's okay and leave it up to them to share what they want to share, but at least let them know we're aware that they might not be at their best place right now in that moment. And we're just going to give them that space till they can rejoin and really deliver their best.
1: Yeah. I love how you say that. One thing I think about that I've been working on a lot, you know, with any triggers that I have is to understand that, If I can watch my narrative and realize that my interpretation is going to shape how I experience something. And so, you know, just like me (laughs) missing the podcast, you know, originally and being with my mom at the nursing home, you could have thought, wow, she's so undependable or like how many times have I told her? It could have been that and this misunderstanding of, you know, I'm not going to say anything. It's this elephant in the room, but like, I don't think that's going to be a reliable guest for me. And so the way we interpret something is going to shape our relationships and our experience. So master your narrative. That's, that's one of the concepts in the book.
0: Marlene, i actually like to dive deeper into an idea you share, which is building what you call our conflict capacity. And I love this idea that you point out in your book, that conflict capacity refers to our ability to stay engaged in a difficult conversation and building our self-awareness so that we stop falling into those bad habits. That we're doing that make conflict something we want to avoid, and you describe three distinct elements to conflict capacity, namely inner game, outer game, and culture. Could you elaborate on what these three elements are and how developing them can help us avoid mismanaging conflict?
1: Yes, well, when I first started, some of the work I'm doing now and building. Uh, content and workshops and training development for having difficult performance conversations or difficult conversations in general. My first awareness was that sometimes people avoid because they just don't have the skill set. They don't know where to start. They don't know what, what to do when they get off track. They they start to play verbal ping pong. And then there's this problem that happens to where they can't create accountability. So I started working on the skill sets and a process for having that conversation And then through that, I realized that it's not just about the skill sets, because even if you have the skills, there's people that they have, they could pass a test, they could teach the workshop. So then what is it that's keeping people from having effective conversations? And I believe and and know that that is the inner game. And the inner game is just building that self-awareness, watching your narrative, looking at when you're being irresponsible in your language or in your thought process, when you're judging, when you're looking at how you feel instead of the facts that are involved as well. So the inner game is really where most of us have a lot of work to do. Um, Just feeling those feelings without reacting to them and taking a little bit of a space, like you said earlier. So those two qualities, the inner game and the outer game is what you can do personally. The third component, culture, what I started seeing was that I had, and I'm sure this has happened to you probably, Um, an organization may call you and they want some skill sets training or they want some coaching, but you, once you start consulting and working with them, you can see that the problem is the top layer in the organization would never really support what you're teaching. And I've seen that many times to where the upper level leaders think that it's the directors and the managers and they just need to do this, they just need to do that. But when you look at the behaviors at the top and how conversations are avoided or covered up or how they don't really have their managers backs when they make a decision, what I've come to understand is that If you work on yourself and you have the skills development, and even if they're offered by your organization and you have that inner game, you've got the right spirit about it, you're aware, you're willing to feel things that you don't want to feel. If the culture won't support the conversations you need to have, it's not going to be a good fit for you overall.
0: Right. And you know what? This is reminding Marlene of one of the points you bring up throughout the book, which is that the goal here is not to change others to get them to see things your way. Rather, it's to better understand how you react to what others are saying or doing and how that can lead to those undesired results we often associate with conflict, to your point where the senior management will say, well, these guys in the director levels or the middle management levels are not doing this and that's why we're having these problems. And I have to tell you, Marlene, this idea really resonated with me because I think every other keynote or workshop I give, I have one leader in the audience who will ask, My boss or colleague does this or doesn't do that. So how can I get them to do it? (laughs) And my response is always the same. You can't get us to do what you want as they have their own motivations and drives, but you can choose how you'll respond to them and what you'll do in those situations. And that's what I love about this idea of building our conflict capacity and how it starts off with that inner game part. Because what this shows is that it's really putting the onus on us, that it's not about what they said or did, but what are you going to say or do in that moment? Or in some cases, whether you have the presence of mind to say, now's not the time for me to respond until I have that clarity of mind to respond in a way that leaves to a more productive conversation, as you just pointed out.
1: Yeah, that is so key of, of getting that uh, emotional regulation of being able to, I know for myself, when I feel upset or angry my urge, just the personality that I am, my urge is to deal with it right now because it feels like I'm crystal clear. So I often say anger is not the truth, but it's the fuel that can get you there. So just because you're angry doesn't mean now is the time to address it. In fact, it probably means you have a right to be angry. You can feel what you feel, but you need to dissect it. You need to unpack it. And so once you've done that, then you can create a strategy and a a presence and a a way to approach the conversation versus I'm angry, I'm done, this is it, I'm very clear, I'm not going to have regrets. But almost every time I've ever approached something when I was irritable or angry, I have had regrets. So anger is not the truth, but it's the fuel that can get you there.
0: So Marlene, I'd like to explore deeper those three elements you mentioned about building our conflict capacity, starting with our self-awareness about how we see ourselves, which I think is again, something you're starting to touch on here. Specifically, and again, you started mentioning this, what's the story we tell ourselves and those we lead about who we are as leaders? And I love this idea you share in your book about the narrative we tell, where the reason we get stuck doing the same behaviors is because the narrative we tell about ourselves is based on our past and present and not in terms of who we want to become in the future. So in the context of building our conflict capacity, Marlene, how do we change our narrative from focusing on who we were in the past to who we need to be as leaders in the future?
1: I love that question. And there's like five different ways I could go on that because there's a lot of ways to get there. And I share some ways in the book to start building your own leadership identity. And one thing you need to do is, is start to I first of all identify with being a leader. Because if you don't, you're gonna identify as either a best friend or a hero or a hands-off kind of leader. And you need to start really honing that ability to say, okay, what does leadership mean to me? Do I have a definition? Is there a definition that our organization goes by? A lot of times they may have that, but they don't really, really enforce it or try to support it. And so if you can Build your own definition of leadership and talk about, you know, for yourself, what are the values that I want to lead by? That's a great starting place because then you've got a North Star for for decisions that you make and for how you approach other people. For example, you know, we, we can be on social media and someone that wants kindness and inclusiveness and so on. If someone says something that triggers them, they want it only if everyone agrees with them. But if you have a principle, you have to live that principle. You have to be the light. You have to be the one that shows up leading from that place. So part of it is really a strong sense of values. Um, instead of seeing it as um, rude or, or mean or hurting someone's feelings, if you give feedback, you come from your values of wanting to help support someone to grow to help someone see where they need to course correct. So it's about deciding to see yourself like who would be the best leader you could be. If you were thinking of yourself a year from now, what would it look like in the way that you handle conflict? What would it look like when you hold a meeting? What would it look like when you've made a mistake? who are you as a leader? That's the one thing you need to develop within yourself is to start seeing yourself as a leader. Because if you only see it as a role, or if you only see it as a checklist of things to manage, you're not going to be very effective as a leader. So it's really about developing your own leadership identity. And there's several different tips I give in the book. One being that you can journal and journal a future self and act as if you've Act as if you're writing to an old friend about the challenges and and how you've overcome them and who you are today, because it starts laying tracks in your subconscious mind to start seeing yourself the way you want to see yourself and to start behaving the way that you need to behave.
0: So Marlene, I want to stay within this thread to talk with you about the difference between leadership identity, which we've been talking about, and leadership clarity. As you write in your book, leadership identity is about how we see ourselves as a leader, well, leadership clarity is about how you see a situation. What is the outcome you're after and how are you supporting your employees or team to achieve it? And there's an interesting visual that you use that helps define leadership clarity and how this can help us avoid mismanaging conflict. So could you share what that is and how does this help us gain leadership clarity?
1: Yes, yes. A lot of my work has the concept of clarity, and I took it a step further in this book. But one of my sayings is the one with clarity navigates the ship. And in all drama, there's always a lack of clarity. And so I use what I call the language of the island. I've been using this language and this visual for a long time, and I've really uh, created a deeper meaning of it. But the concept or the, the visual is a boat, an island, and a shark. So the boat is at the lower, like if you're looking at a sheet of paper, a flip chart or a PowerPoint slide, the boat is at the lower left, the island is at the upper right, and in between the boat and the island is a shark. The boat represents our current situation, and the current situation is... Um, in context of what you're trying to resolve, what you're trying to solve. So it could be just about you. It could be about you and your team. It could be about just your team. And then you have your outcome, which is the island. That's where we're trying to go, that's our final outcome. And the, the bigger the gap, in other words, if the outcome is five years away, that's a much bigger gap than if, if the outcome is five weeks away. So the bigger the gap, the more potential for drama, the more potential for getting um, off course. So we have our situation, which is the boat and all the rowers, and we have the island, which is the outcome. And in, in the work I've done before, I say the outcome is always peace and prosperity. So no matter how you categorize it, whether it's this quarter's goals, whether it's increased collaboration whether it's getting more customers we always have some reason we want what we want and it ends up being peace and prosperity so i make it very simple so we've got the boat we've got the island and then we've got the shark and the shark is the obstacle that's where we start focusing on the problems real or perceived yes but they won't understand yes but it's going to be difficult yes but because of covid And so really to have leadership clarity, you want to understand these three points of attraction before you try to problem solve. Because I can say that for myself as a consultant, so often someone, whether it's they've delegated it down to their assistant or whether they've called me themselves, I will get, we've got some challenges in our organization or in our department. We've decided we're need we looking for someone to do a two-day workshop and a series of three coaching calls over the course of one month they've already decided that what the solution is instead of identifying the situation and the outcome. And until you have those first two points, creating a new chief happiness officer, uh, creating a workshop, uh, devising some new initiative is really just trying to problem solve without all the information. And I see that all the time. So I call it getting stuck on the rock called how. So we are here in the boat. We're building up this big rock of things we need to do but we don't know why we want to do it. So the question in consulting, as you know, is always why, 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 what would that give you that you don't have now? But why? Because it's usually three or four layers deep. But what I found, you know, especially in the consulting slash training, when you do a combination of those things, I'm very clear that. I don't have to be the expert in their industry. That's their role. They are the experts. But my job is to help them gain clarity. And if I can help them even get clear about the situation instead of how they feel about it, instead of what they think it might be, if we can get clear about the situation and clear about an outcome, we now have the structural dynamics to create change. If we don't have those points, then then we're going to struggle.
0: Now, Marlene, I can tell you, I'm sure many listeners are thinking right now, yes, this all makes sense, but for me, one of the big reasons I struggle with conflict has to do with the emotional aspect, something you brought up earlier, namely how it makes me feel, but also how it makes the person I'm in conflict feel. And there's a fascinating concept you shared in your book called emotional integrity. Now, most of us have heard of emotional intelligence and of being aware of our emotions, but while emotional intelligence is about being aware of and being able to express our emotions in a constructive way... Emotional integrity is about letting people know what's going on inside of you. And I love this idea because it forces us to not only be honest with ourselves, but with others about how we're feeling is influencing how we're seeing and receiving what they're telling us. Now, this step towards building conflict capacity certainly feels like it involves some heavy emotional lifting. So Marley, what are some steps we could take to develop our emotional integrity?
1: Yeah. So the first part that sort of laying a foundation for that, that I want people to play with, you don't have to adopt it, but just play with this idea. We always think, I hear people say, oh, it's going to make them feel so bad. It's going to make them cry. It's going to make them feel angry. And we say, well, I'm just so empathetic. I just, I feel other people's pain, but here's the real root. It's really not about them. It's about how you feel when they feel that way. It's always about your own feelings. So if you can just take ownership of that and to say that we, we do live in a symbiotic world in that I I am, you know, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know, but... I do influence and I do have intention and energy going towards someone. So in that way, I'm responsible for my energy and my intention. But I can no more control what someone feels or thinks. I I think that I can, but the truth is people are going to feel and think what they're going to feel and think. We have to work on our own integrity. And so part of that is taking ownership of your experience in that while I think it's that I'm afraid of you crying, it's that I don't like how I feel when you cry. That's the real issue. So. I, first of all, I'm going to take ownership of the experience. And then the second step is I'm going to face my dark side. So if my dark side, most of us have a lot of problem with shadow work, but we project onto others what we haven't faced within ourselves. So if I say, well, they think they're all that in a bag of chips, or, you know, they, they, they're such a resentful kind of person, or they're really just trying to get back, maybe I just need to take a step back and say, do I have any of those qualities? It, it, could that be something that I'm not willing to look at in myself? So it's okay to be able to say, you know what, I'm very resentful. And I and I hate that I feel resentful, but I do feel resentful. Or I'm angry, and I don't know how to manage the anger. Like it's it's what we tell ourselves, or we say, I wish I really am wanting revenge. And so while I've got a smile on my face, and I'm going to document in order to help you, I really just have a plan to get you fired two months later and I haven't been documenting. So it's like really owning internally what's going on for you by facing your dark side. Those are the emotions you don't like about yourself, the feelings that you have, the thoughts that you have that you know aren't leaderly, just face it. And then when you are in conversation, during a conflict, represent yourself. I feel, I think, this is my experience versus on behalf of all the people in my organization or all the team feels this way about you, stay off of that ledge simply represent yourself. I'm experiencing. I feel you're coming from the place of I am responsible for my thoughts, feelings and behaviors. You're coming from the place of you are also responsible for your thoughts, feelings and behaviors. And finally, to say that disagreement does not ruin relationships. It's disrespect that ruins relationships. So that's the landmine we've got to avoid is the disrespect, because what happens when we get heated and full of ego, then it becomes all about projection. And what you did to me and why you deserve what I said. And I lashed out only because I'm being authentic. And now we're, we're in, in anything but an authentic relationship. We're really off operating off of old ego structures. So it's really emotional integrity is about telling yourself the truth about what's really going on so that you can be authentic with others to the highest level of your being.
0: I'm loving what you're sharing here, Marlene, because I'm sure some people who are listening to us right now, after hearing you discuss those steps in developing our emotional integrity, are feeling. The thing that also causes many of us to struggle with dealing with conflict, and that is having to deal with resistance. And you talk about three types of resistance in your book. There's your resistance, there's their resistance, and your resistance to their resistance. And I love the point that you make here that we often get caught up focusing on the wrong one, namely their resistance instead of on the two types we can do something about, which are your resistance and your resistance to their resistance. And there's actually four patterns to your resistance that you describe that require a distinct approach to address and overcome, which I think as you were describing those steps for emotional integrity, some people are probably feeling being evoked inside them. So I would love it if you could walk us through these four patterns of resistance, Marlene, and how understanding them can help us overcome your resistance and your resistance to their resistance. So the first,
1: like, here's the thing with resistance. So I don't know if these are in order or not, but um, I can know if I'm an aware person, I've worked on my inner game and this was the beginning of my work. I worked on this a lot. So it wasn't much deeper than this. It was like, okay, negativity, negativity spreads like a virus. We think over what 70,000 thoughts every day and 80 to 90% of those are negative or repetitive. There's lots of quotes out there with different numbers so it's all about, like, let me watch out for my resistance. And I think you're also talking about sand, right? Stuck, attached, mm-hmm. negative. Okay. We'll t- all right. So, um,
0: you know, Marlene, I love it right now. Everyone's going like, wait, Tevra was talking about resistance and emotional integrity. Now they're talking about sand. So bear with Marlene. <laughs> she's got some really good stuff here she's going to be sharing. So, <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, I've been teaching same concepts for a long time, so I'll get to that. So that first level is I can be so aware that I'm in resistance, which some people don't realize they have resistance. Resistance, like, yeah, I'll be glad to get back with you, but it's going to be difficult because and I'm making excuses and I'm complaining about the weather and I'm complaining about things that are never going to change and that aren't really within my scope of control. We can, if we start to know that about ourselves, we can start watching that and quit resisting so often and start accepting what is and then making changes where we can. So when you you start working on yourself you will notice it in others and it'll really drive you crazy because you'll project but most of us start with noticing it in other people oh they are so negative they don't they don't want to get their work done they are making excuses they keep saying i would but so we'll notice it in other people so there's watching others be resistant and watching our own where we get trapped and then i'll talk about the sand and the four steps or the four parts of that um, we'll say well I would talk with them, but I already know what they're going to say. That's the trap of I'm resisting their resistance. So when I'm coaching, I'll often say it's really not about what they're going to say. The question is, are you willing to have the courage to go forward anyway? Because what you're saying is I've got to walk on eggshells because I've tried it. It hasn't happened I haven't been able to create accountability by the policies that we have. So therefore, I have no choices and I'm a victim. But the truth is you're just resisting their resistance. So if I'm afraid that the gruff man is going to raise his voice at me, the real question is, am I willing to have that happen and feel it? Because then I can release my own resistance and I can still have the conversation. Is that making sense?
0: That's making perfect sense.
1: So the the ways that I've helped people to in a fun way to just kind of recognize resistance is what I call getting stuck in the sand. And S stands for stuck, A stands for attached, N stands for negative, which I've talked about a little bit already. And then D is distracted. So when you start to notice, for example, when you're stuck, I'm stuck, I'm back, I'm forth, I'm back, I'm back and forth. And there's a difference between procrastination and stuckness. In my mind, procrastination is I've already made a decision, but I'm just putting it off. The decision to file my taxes is done. I'm not stuck about it. I'm just procrastinating. Stuck is I haven't even made a decision. Should I? Shouldn't I? But if I do, then this. But if I don't, then that. And we're back and forth on that hamster wheel. That is a real big form of resistance when we fail to make a decision at all and um, attached. This is a big one for me, I think. It's like, I can get really attached to how I think things are supposed to go, and sometimes not be flexible, and I get disappointed. So if you're, if you react heavily to disappointment, chances are you were in a state of resistance due to being attached, instead of being flexible to say, well, I hope it goes this way. But there may be things that are out of my control. And Um, So I'm just going to be flexible so that getting out of attachments a really big one for a lot of people. And then we've talked about negative, that complaining about things you can't change and just having a downward kind of a vibe and then distracted, which is a lot of entrepreneurs. I start going in one direction, but then something gets my attention. And then I've got reasons for why I didn't finish something or why I didn't follow through because I'm being driven only by my distractions, only by emotions and not by a real decision.
0: You know, Marlene, as you were describing all these different areas of how we get resistance, I could just see how we've really taken people on a journey to understand how they can build their conflict capacity. And I think you've made it clear to our listeners how addressing workplace conflict really starts with ourselves and building, as I said, our conflict capacity so that we go from dreading conflict, as you write in your book, to almost welcoming it because now we're able to see it as an opportunity to provide greater clarity and purpose and opportunities to grow for those under our care. And I know one of the things you mentioned in your book is that one of the things that why we struggle with managing conflict is because we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone, letting go of those behaviors and habits. of so what you mentioned in describing that sand model of why we get stuck that we've relied on in the past to help us deal with these uncomfortable conversations. And that's why I really appreciate how, Marlon, you ended your book pointing out the fact that we all have choices to make in these moments for how we'll respond, what we'll focus on and what we do. And that when we recognize those choices, we empower employees to also start seeing the choices they can make in those moments as well.
1: Yeah. And what, what we don't realize, you know, going back to the conflict and the inner, inner game, I jokingly say I can have conflict without anyone else in the room. And and so one of the things I talk about in recognizing choice and so on is that um, there is no conflict unless there's first an inner conflict. And what I mean by that is it's good that we have conflict in a way, if you think about it, because we care about other people's feelings. We care about how we feel when they feel. We care about our reputation. We care about our career. So if you're a sociopath, you don't care. So there's no inner conflict. You say what you want to say and you mark it off to I'm just being authentic. When you think more strategically and you see all the parts and pieces, it's normal to care. And to care means to have inner conflict. So what you want to do is to say, well, I'm a sensitive person. I do care about this. So what's my narrative about it? What are my choices? Because if you buy into the idea that it's someone else or it's the circumstance or it's the situation, which there can be facts to support that. But if you buy into the idea that you have no choice, then by default, you're a victim. So I'm really, really on this mission to help people see to become the creative force in their own life. You always have almost always a viable choice of some sort, if you're willing to open to that. But if like, for example, you know, me missing our original time for the podcast, well, if you were like, okay, no choice, we had it scheduled. She missed it too bad. No other choice, but there was another choice, you know, you're willing to be flexible and, um, you know, I was willing to leave earlier to, to get back. And, and so we often do have choices. Maybe they're not the ultimate, but we often do. And when we find our choices, when we find our power, when we think we have no choice, we are actually blaming the world or the outside circumstances, versing, accepting the reality that is, whether it's fair or unfair and saying, what are my choices now? Because at every point we have a choice and what i say is that change doesn't happen without willingness so if you're really stuck in the sand if you're saying okay well it's your fault it's your fault it's you did it it's the circumstances it's the president it's our it's our government if you're stuck in that for too long you're failing to see what choices you have right now in the present moment to come to come to peace
0: well marlene i can tell you as was the case all those many years ago It's been such a pleasure speaking with you about your book. I really think you've inspired people to reconsider how they think about conflict and to recognize both the different choices they can make from what they've done in the past, as well as recognizing the responsibility that comes with making those choices in terms of creating that environment in their organization that brings out the best in others. Because we've worked on building our conflict capacity because we care. We genuinely want to see people succeed and thrive under our leadership because we recognize that that is what we are there to do and to accomplish so thanks for sharing these insights and tools with my listeners marlene it's been a pleasure speaking with you again on my podcast after all these years who would have thought marlene that we'd be doing this again over 10 years later
1: amazing i'm so excited that our paths continue to cross and thank you so much for having me today
0: well, it's been my genuine pleasure, Marlene, and again, I'm glad we had the chance to speak again and to talk about these interesting insights you've shared in your latest book. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Marlene's book and to listen to her previous appearance on this podcast, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. Now, I've noticed that a few of you have been leaving ratings and reviews on various podcast platforms recently. And I want to sincerely thank you for supporting our show. And for those of you who are also enjoying my podcast, I'd like to invite you to take a moment here to just quickly rate our podcast. And if you can, to also write a short review to help others discover and benefit from this podcast and the leadership insights and tools I share. I'm Tavin here, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.